You're listening to the About Consent Podcast, episode number five. Welcome to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. Welcome back, friends. Today is episode number five. I'm thrilled about introducing you to Dali Rivera. No relation, but she's like a sister at this point. I've gotten to know this amazing person who is doing amazing things in the world. And I want more people to know about her and her work because I think it's so important and so valuable for our, not just our youth, but for ourselves as well, so that we can help them and teach other parents as well, right? So it's not just about empowering our own kids, but also helping other parents. We need to do this as a collective to stop the bullying and create more diversity and inclusion in our schools and our communities. And so I wanted to bring Dali on because this month, October, is Anti-Bullying Awareness Month. And Dali Rivera is an anti-bullying and diversity educator who teaches people to prevent bullying by debunking stereotypes. She's also a military veteran speaker, blogger, and parent of two young girls, and is also a wife. Dolly is the creator of the Diversity and Anti-Bullying Academy, DABA, which is a program for K-12 through students and parents to identify, prevent, advocate, and eliminate bullying in order to improve children's academic achievement, self-esteem, and the likelihood of having a more successful life in adulthood. Who doesn't want to do that for their kids, right? Now, I had an awesome conversation with her. We talked about bullying and what parents can do, how it's related to consent, and also how it can further lead into harassment, sexual harassment, and what that does as we grow up as adults, right? Kids if they are not corrected in these areas, if they are not helped to correct the behavior, not just punish them, which was something I thought was awesome for her to highlight, um, which you'll hear all about in the interview. But if we don't help kids now, those who are being bullied, as well as those who are doing the bullying, we are not going to create a culture of consent. So this is very much in alignment with my message And I thought, what a perfect opportunity to have her on the show during October, Anti-Bullying Month. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. This is great for anyone who has kids or anyone who has been bullied in the past who may decide that they want to have kids and wants to know how to be prepared to empower their children as they grow up. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dali Rivera. So Dali Rivera, it's funny we have the same name. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here today. 
Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. Yeah, I, and it's um, it's interesting because I don't know that many, I, ironically, you know, Latinas, but I don't know right. a lot of friends that are Rivera as well. So I'd be curious if we have any like lineage crossing at some somehow, but <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was looking through your uh, page and I realized your mom and my mom have the same first name, Leonor. No way. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> I was like, what That's a coincidence. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were meant to meet then. Right. Um, so I am so excited that you're here because we're going to talk today about a topic that um, much like consent doesn't get talked about enough. I think there's finally some awareness, you know, around it because we are seeing the effects of bullying on kids and because of social media, it seems to have gotten worse. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on because, uh, my sister, uh, as an example, was very much a victim of bullying, very severe bullying in high school to the point that the police had to get involved and she was having death threats on her life. And um, so I, wow. you know, I think that this is definitely a topic that parents need to know more about. And I love the work that you're doing because you help parents even decide like, okay, what do I do if my child is getting bullied? And most parents used to take it as just teasing. I love that you have some distinctions. So we're going to dive into all of that. Um, but before we get started on that, uh, I would love for you to tell the audience listening uh, a bit more about yourself and how you got started in this. Mm -hmm. What was it that made you decide to get into being a diversity and anti-bullying coach? Yeah, so... Oh, wow. Where to start? I experienced bullying as a kid when I migrated from Nicaragua to California. So I remember a lot of what happened. And I remember that most of it was due to the misunderstanding of who I was, people's assumptions, and I mean, to include children and teachers and other adults. So I understood, I, now as an adult, I understand that part of the bullying that I experienced was because of the lack of understanding of my differences. But then uh, when I became a mom and my five-year-old back then started kindergarten, uh, she was asked by a little boy, Devon, to be uh, his girlfriend and she declined. So my husband and I would walk to the bus stop every day and, you know, walk her there. And, and we started noticing that when Nadia, my daughter, would start getting closer to the bus stop, the, the little boy's two brothers, who were probably about uh, seven and nine, um, they would start teasing him and saying things to him. And at one point, it got so bad that one brother took Devon's arms and held him behind his back while the other brother punched them and over and over and said, man up, you got to man up. You got to be tough. You're the man. You got to be the man. Wow. And I thought, what the heck? And my husband and I, of course, we were shocked. <clears throat> we were shocked. And, uh, and of course we told him to cut it out, but you know, it happened so fast. And, um, I have a background in women and gender studies. So my first thought was, oh my gosh, this five-year-old is being taught toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. which is just, you know, that notion of manhood or boyhood that it's supposed to be aggressive. And that if a girl turns you down, you down, that you're, you must 
not be man enough to convince her to say yes. And this is a five-year-old. Yeah. You know, being taught that by a seven and a nine-year-old. And my daughter got caught in the middle of those stupid ideas and, and other children too. So I remember going to the bus driver and I reported what had happened to my daughter because he had called her a lot of slurring, you know, just horrible names and try to kick her and punch her as well as other little kids. Wow. But that school year... There were so many kindergartners in the bus that they were afraid because these three boys were just very intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I remember the bus driver telling me, I can't do anything until a witness comes forward. And nobody would come forward. There are all these little five-year-olds that were so scared. Uh, yeah. So I go to the principal and I said, hey, this happened. The bus driver won't do anything. She says to me, I cannot intervene because it did not happen on school grounds. Wow. And I was floored. My husband and I were like, what? And we were, you know, like avid uh, volunteers. We were always there at the school. So we had a good working relationship with the principal and teachers and stuff. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Because in my eyes, I expect you to handle this because you hired this bus driver, yeah. this bus driving company. And therefore, they have to keep my kids safe. And she said, I'm sorry, my hands are tied. And, you know, she showed me policies and stuff. And then I started diving into, okay, there's got to be a loophole. So I started doing research. And my first thought was, I need to help uh, educate children on gender expectations that are just unreal that are false mm -hmm. you know that's my women in gender studies major <laughs> mentality yeah. and my husband was like yeah you really need to teach that because that's really messed up and then you know when I saw Devon getting punched by his brother it and I remember this so clearly it was like you know when in the movies where time goes by really slow suddenly and then I remember looking to his little eyes and he was such an adorable little boy. He was actually very, very nice, a very nice kid. But I looked into his eyes for that one, like a second that seemed like it stopped in time. And I saw pain and humiliation and fear and anger and desperation and a cry for help. And he was ashamed that I kind of caught his, you know, his eye. And as soon as the brothers let him go, he brushed it off all aggressively and snatched his book bag from the floor and put it on. And just, I could tell he was hurting and he was just trying his hardest not to cry. Oh my goodness. And that really, really stayed with me. And... I see this all the time because I mentioned I volunteer a lot at the schools, middle school and uh, elementary school. And this has been a scene that happens in, you know, slightly different ways over and over and over, not just with boys, but with girls too. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember, I remember when I was that kid being bullied, I would try to make myself invisible as much as possible. I just didn't want anybody to notice me because I knew if they did, trouble would come. Yeah. And nobody stood up for me. And I thought, you know, gosh, nobody likes me. So um, 
I started analyzing what I was learning about bullying and then analyzing what happened to me when I was, you know, being bullied as a kid and how I felt. And it is so shocking because everything I've learned, I remember experiencing and I didn't have the words to express it back then. Just like I'm sure Devon didn't have the words to express or my daughter. Yeah. But one of the things that I tell kids is when nobody stands up for you and it keeps happening over and over and over, eventually you start blaming yourself. Mm. You start saying, I must just attract bad people or I must be doing something that I deserve it. Right. You know? And so yeah, I tell that's parents. That's very true. That's such a good yeah. point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's. I mean, you can apply that across the board with other experiences aside from bullying, because when it's a constant and nobody's there to defend you, you you start thinking, I must not be worth standing up for. Mm. And that's so painful to see, and especially when you know that a kid believes that, you know. Yeah. And um. And so that's, that's what actually catapulted me into doing research about bullying. And it all started with educating, you know, like the teachers and friends. And then one day my husband, he says to me, he's like, this is enough, Dali. <laughs> he's like, you've got to just get into the schools. So yes. I went to talk to principal so-and-so and you have an appointment tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. So you better have your pitch ready. I was like, oh my gosh, it's 5 p.m. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to kill him, but I mean. <laughs> but he helped push you into that, into oh my that gosh. position that obviously there's a huge need for it, you know? And oh, yeah. Here's my question to you because, you know, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, well, why don't schools teach this as part of, you know, our, like I don't, with my kids in my school, I don't know of any anti-bullying program that they currently have. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm in Canada, so I don't know what the differences are in the States and if it's based on, you know, state to state, but is there anything that you know, parents should be asking for in schools or is it something that just needs mm -hmm. to out individually you know I think it's a bit of both because to be fair the schools are overwhelmed with a lot of issues they have to help special needs kids they have to help the kids that have behavior issues um, the kids that uh, are just challenged with learning you know and um, yes they can incorporate some of these lessons into their materials I think that they could do do that uh, in a smarter way, you know, like reading time, choose selective books, you know, to so that they learn about bullying and also learn, you know, how to read well. Uh, mm -hmm. But but I think ultimately it's something that should be done in the home because, you know, no matter how many hours a child spends with others outside of the home, who they're going to listen to ultimately is always the parent. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad that a lot of parents nowadays are not actually having conversations with their kids. It's so bad that it's recommended by pediatricians to have 15 minutes a day of actual conversation with your wow. children. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, right? It's like, it's just 15 minutes. Like, but I talk to them all the time, they say. But then if you start thinking about the type of conversations that you are having, if that's what you're calling them, conversations, it's 
go clean your room, go brush your teeth, go pick up after the dog or come help with the kid, you know, with the meals or whatever. It's not actually that, you know, sitting down and asking, Hey, how was your day? And how did you like the teacher, you know, in class today? Or what table are you sitting at? You know, who are the kids you're sitting with? Mm-hmm. And try to get those, you know, answers that are not just a yes or no response. Because, you know, if you ask a kid, hey, how was your day? They're like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah, true. It's and you got to get specific. Good. Yeah, you definitely have right. to get specific. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's a few things that you talked about that I thought were interesting and you know, in terms of relating to bullying, I find that, for example, my sister, one of the reasons that she was getting bullied was because her English wasn't perfect. Like we're immigrants. Mm. Like I, we mm-hmm. came to the States when I was five. I think she was 12 at the time. And by the time she got to high school, her, you know, her accent wasn't perfect. I had a lot more time. So you, you can't hear my accent, but you know, I can still speak Spanish. And so I I had the, in a sense, the privilege really of being able to start so young and not have an accent that would make me stand out, even though I think accents are beautiful and I love hearing people's accents. But my Mm -hmm. sister at the time was, you know, still, still had enough of an accent that she got started to get teased for it. Then she ended up getting teased for that. Later in high school, she ended up standing up for another student who was getting bullied and because of that, she got targeted and oh. she became the target because she was trying to help someone else who was getting beat up. And mm. it got so bad, right, that she ended up uh, needing police protection. Now, the, the basis of that was because she was an immigrant and the person that she was defending was an immigrant. And I imagine that today with the state of affairs in the U.S., right. politically and, you know, else otherwise, Immigrants are still a really big target. Yes. Not mm-hmm. just uh, not just obviously the Latinx community, but all immigrants. And so uh, is there a specific thing that those communities should be teaching? I mean, should that be a highlight in the education at home because of the fact that there are, you know, immigrant families? Like, I'm curious if, you know, there is even a difference in how kids should be taught about you know, anti-bullying and where, where would parents start? So I would say you always start with the friends that you have uh, around you having discussions. Like for example, you can use a book if you're big into, you know, I use books a lot because not only because uh, you know, it teaches you fun stories, but you can learn a lot from the stories and it can expose you to other things that you would normally not expose yourself to. And, um, I mean, you can do it in so many different ways. For example, if you have a book that's geared more for the younger kids, but you have a child that's a little older, you can have your older child read to your younger child and you all learn something together. So for example, if you, if you have, say your school has a book club, you can suggest these books and you can find them anywhere. I mean, you can go to my website on dalitalks.com and uh, get a, the list. But having them not just go into literacy, but like the events in the community, the family engagement centers, the libraries, the city halls always coordinate some type of 
festival for almost every time of the year. So when you expose them and take them to these little events, you're exposing them to other people and they can see what is out there. So for example, people in, I, when I was living in Maryland, I wanted to go to the uh, Puerto Rican festival and the Dominican, and then they had uh, Kwanzaa and all this. And I remember taking my kids and people would question me like, why are you taking them to Kwanzaa? You're not black. I said, mm-hmm. well, you don't have to be black to go and celebrate somebody else's culture. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty cool because, you know, you're embracing that and then you get to see some of the similarities that culture A has with your own culture or culture B with, you know, yeah. and you start noticing that while we are all different, we all have certain things that are alike as well. And that is one of the ways that you can do that as a family because the core, one of the core problems in bullying is that the differences of others are used to justify hurting mm-hmm. people. For example, uh, well, I had a kid who wouldn't let my daughter play soccer. And he, he would say, because you had to bring your own soccer ball to the playground for some reason. And so she, she, you know, she didn't have a ball at first, so, but she'd ask. And they would say no. So then she started bringing the ball and they would ask, uh, can I play with your ball? And she said, yeah, sure. But then they would leave her out. And then she said, you know, well, I'm not playing with you because you're borrowing my ball. You're not letting me play. What's the deal? She said, well, you're a girl. Hmm. And so, and he said, I can't, you know, she was like, I think nine or something. And she said, can you believe that? You know, just because I'm a girl and if I can just show them and, you know, and she had, um, she said, okay, well, I'm going to just start up my own team with girls. And then, you know, they saw the girls participating and then eventually they were like, okay, well, let's play with the girls. They seem to play really well. And it's sad that you have to go through that, but show them, you know, in with play. There's so many ways, but that little tiny idea of, oh, you're just a girl, mm-hmm. that just because you're different. I mean, they're getting that idea from home or books or something, somewhere. Usually, most of those ideas come from home. Yeah. It also comes from what you're watching on TV. You know, I always yeah. tell parents, you know, no more than two hours daily of total media time. Yeah. And total media time means, you know, like combined uh, a smartphone tablet television you know because music what, oh yeah music oh my gosh music especially the lyrics now like you can get down to pitbull and then you start <laughs> listening to the to the lyrics and i'm like oh my gosh i do not stand for that but the beat is so good <laughs> yeah the so, beat exactly well i remember yeah. even when i was a kid that i found the music to be explicit you know if you listen to little kim albums Oh my gosh, yeah. They were explicit mm-hmm. and, you know, oh, yeah. Foxy Brown. I mean, mm-hmm. we look at it today and we go, oh, the music. But, I mean, it's been going on for a long time. Yeah, of course, forever. Each generation seems to get more and more explicit. But I think even the messaging in there, when I listen to the toxic masculinity that's coming through the music, and then even women or girls who are also putting mm-hmm. music out are – yeah not always, they're reinforcing yeah. yeah they're not always mm-hmm. going against it they're reinforcing these mm-hmm. stereotypes and i think that that you touched on that like you know we have to teach tolerance and we have to teach uh like you said di- you know about diversity and embracing other people and uh learning empathy right like mm-hmm. 
it's uh, if, if there are parents that are not teaching that and then they see in TV or on the media, even if a lot of times there's a show that let's say shows two different cultures that are clashing and they, you know, the goal of the show is to show some resolution. They're still seeing those differences that people are fighting about. And if that's not, you know, talked about or discussed by the parents, then they may get the wrong messaging out of it, right? Because nobody is monitoring how they're internalizing those messages, right? And I think that's also an important piece is like, when I read books with my kids, I don't just read it and then put it down. Like I want to unpack what their understanding of it is so that if there is a, you know, a misunderstanding, I can help them understand it the right way. Yeah. That's so, very, very important. Yeah. And even with television shows, because I, I use that a lot um, when they do watch TV and there's this show called Jesse it's off air now, but um, it was uh, one of those kids shows. And I remember trying to teach them what reality really is, because a lot of kids don't understand that what they see on TV, if they were to do it in real life, it's actually very unaccepted. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, the way that they answer to their parents, I'm like, Oh, heck no, my kids, <laughs> if they were to answer that way, or if, oh, if I would have been like that with my mom, you know, mm-hmm. especially Latina moms, it's like, you're going to see your chinela up on your face or something. <laughs> I mean, old school training, but, um, and I don't encourage hitting. I, I don't at all, but I'm just saying that's how it was with me. My mom would have just smacked me on the mouth with her hand or something. And so I tell them, you know, like, do you, do you think it's acceptable for you to speak to me like that? And they're like, oh no, you know, or something simple like, okay, those kids are always wearing high heels to school. How many kids you see wearing high heels at school? Yeah. You know, not, nobody It's like, you know, have you noticed that everybody on that music video is curvaceous and they have makeup and long, beautiful hair. You think that's normal? So, and, and they'll answer and you, and I have to tell them and remind them, it's like, know that all of that is, orchestrated it is put together there's a big team that makes it look like that yeah and that's not life just like even in the avengers you're watching avengers and you know that part of the recent most recent movie where the hulk is pretending to be mad mm-hmm. which is really really funny he's like oh, oh right. he's he can't even- <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know it's like uh if even though he's not really really truly mad but imagine he, you know, or a human getting hit by, you know, that object, they're not going to bounce back. So don't try to pretend that you're the Hulk, (laughs) you know, trying to hit your friend because you're actually going to hurt them. So I think there's a big problem with, with that in the media that kids see or hear things and then they want to go repeat them and they don't truly understand where the line is crossed Mm-hmm. And what the real outcome is going to be. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, with your sister, she she is the example of so many kids who they stand up for somebody and then they become the target. And unfortunately, there in that situation, the school or the place where it happens has failed them mm-hmm. because they don't intervene enough or at all. And yeah. so what I tell parents is, look, if you see that in your school as a problem, you have so much power that you don't realize. You need to go and 
you know, in a nice, in a, in a very cordial way, express your discontent, but always provide a solution. If you want the school to invest in a bullying program, number one, ask if they have one, you will be shocked how many do have one. Okay. School districts, districts pay around $50,000 for a, a program for the entire school district. Hmm. And a lot of times, even the principals or the, the teachers don't really realize that it's there. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's really sad because it's money, taxpayer money that's being wasted. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when they do try to implement it, it's not very effective because it's one of those programs where it's at the school, at the beginning of the school of the year, and they say, okay, don't bully, don't hit, don't, this is what's going to happen to you. Then they forget about it for the rest of the school year. And so maybe around Christmas time, they bring it up again mm-hmm. or until an incident happens. And if you want to have something that's more recurring, you know, you really need to let your administration know like, hey, can we have it once a quarter or once uh, a month or something? Right. And, you know, you can have student-led discussions. You can have parent-led discussions. And that's one thing, too, where I focus on the parent and the child because you cannot educate just one. Yeah. They both have to be in sync. Absolutely. They have to be able to know that, hey, mom understands the four types of bullying and mom... Uh, knows how to do a proper filing of a, a bullying incident, you know, report. So then the the child is going to feel more confident to go to the parent. And right. then also, if your child knows the four types of bullying and the four characteristics of bullies, then they know, you know, the difference between bullying and teasing and the difference between reporting and snitching, then you're going to know that your child is using the correct words that are you know, they're not confused, they're not lost, they're not making it up. They're actually using those words because you've taught them. Right. Therefore, you're going to take that a little more seriously. That's and a then really powerful you- distinction, actually, because you, you know, I think that's what, something that kids are always teased about, right? Like, don't be a snitch. Oh, yeah. Big uh, snitches get snitches culture. Yeah, you know, yeah. the tattletale. So empowering them with the right language, very much like what I teach as well with, you know, with kids uh, about consent is that you give them the right language and you teach them the distinctions. Like now they, they have some power behind something that happens to them. They're not going to just be a victim or a bystander. They can yeah. help you know, empower themselves or someone else in a situation. So I think that's really great and and important. Let me ask you this with, is there a certain type of bullying that is happening more than others? Like for example, you you know, we hear a lot about gender violence, right? And that is a group that is very targeted as well. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, like, according to the research that you've done, is there a group that is more, like, targeted than others? And what can what can do parents do or should be doing to help those, you know, if they find that their child is in that group? So the number one group that experiences bullying is actually the LGBT community. And they actually receive it the worst, like, with the most intense. And the second is those with learning or physical disabilities. Mm. 
And it's really, really sad because those two categories of people usually are the ones that are in public spaces, at least, least backed up. Mm-hmm. Because people always are scared, or you know, they feel uneasy, or, or whatever the case. Mm-hmm. So, um, but overall, middle school is the toughest age, and that is where bullying happens the most. In elementary school, it happens a little bit, and so I started trying to educate elementary school because I'm like, catch them while they're young, because if yeah. you catch them when they're young then by the time they get to middle school, when they're already having to deal with like the body changes and the hormones and all of that, then they can keep in mind what I've taught them. But then it does go up a little more during middle school years. And then it dies down just a bit, bit in high school. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the areas of concern, you know, the LGBT kids, kids with disabilities, and just middle schoolers, those three categories right there. And, you know, another thing, too, is a lot of parents get so mad that they say, my kid's being bullied at school. I can't believe that the teachers didn't see it. And you have to think of this, of this, in, at least in America, in, in the United States. There are usually, if you're lucky, 25 kids per one adult. Right. And if, if you have volunteered in classrooms, then you're probably aware that here in the United States, teachers cannot legally just take a, a restroom break and leave the class unattended unless another adult is in the classroom. Mm. So that means that that poor teacher is holding his or her pee all darn day until lunchtime or recess just to make sure that your kids are n- not left all alone and unsupervised. Yeah. And they have all sorts of things going on. And guess where the number one place that bullying happens is? It's where? in the classroom okay. where there are people present. And then parents get upset because... That's interesting. I would never have thought that. I know a lot of people are always shocked because they always think, oh, it's at recess. Yeah. And it's actually not. It's like in the Mm -hmm. playground. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So the number one place is in the classroom with people, including adults, present. And the second place is actually in... um, um, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the second place, where was it? Oh, oh in the, um, nope, I'm sorry. You're going to have to, <laughs> I'm drawing a total blank. I'm having that old lady syndrome again. <laughs> yeah, sorry okay, that about happens that. to me at least once yeah. a day. So. <laughs> yeah. But the most important one, yeah. Um, yeah. And, wow, and the so reason fascinating though. Like I really would not, that's the last place I would have thought. Yeah, it's really sad because you think that the places where there's more exposure is where they're the most safe. Yeah. And then always also the number one reason why kids get bullied is their appearance. Yeah. So if the type of clothing they're wearing, the hairstyle, the, you know, the book bag that they're carrying. And the second is their body weight either too skinny or too fat or too uh, bulky up top or too, you know, like your calves are too big or your, you know, whatever. Yeah. So all, all of that, it's all about the differences. I mean, right. and you've got to teach kids too, that confidence is like the number one weapon that you can use against bullying. If you can master to either, even just to fake it till you make it. You right. Know? Because, Bullies do not 
target those who they know that are going to speak out against them. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then when somebody stands up for another, bullying stops within 15 seconds. It's amazing because it doesn't even have to be uh, in a very loud and very pushy kind of way. You can simply go up to the victim, whoever is getting um, attacked at the time, and say, hey, come on, let's go. Walk yeah. away. Or you can just say, hey, stop it. You're being a jerk. Or, hey, cut it out. That's enough. And then walk away. Yeah. And, and usually within 15 seconds, it stops. And then, of course, you have those moments where like your sister she ended up being the target but if that happens then you have to report it there's only 20 to 30 percent of bullying reports that are submitted mm -hmm. that's very very small and I always tell kids you know I ask them why did you not report it and they always say oh well I saw so-and-so get bullied and they told the teacher and nothing happened so what's the point Wow. Or, or, well, you know, I saw that it got worse for them, so I don't want that either. Right. And, and the reason that that usually happens is because the advocacy part lacks certain elements that makes your case stronger. So, for example, when parents don't have the, all of the information or when uh, the kid doesn't say the full truth, because a lot of them, you know, some, you know, there's smart mouths, and sometimes they say things that make the bully really angry. Mm -hmm. So then they think, well, I started it, so right. I'm not gonna say everything. And I always tell kids, like, it doesn't matter if you started talking trash. Mm -hmm. The point is, you don't deserve to be hit, you know. Yeah. And you don't deserve to be um, like psychologically just messed up because it's just not right. It's not right. Yeah. Nobody deserves that type of um, thing being done to them. Yeah. So I tell them, you know, just be honest because then you get the full picture. And when you own it, you and and you say, hey, I was wrong. I did do this. But you know what? He went too far. She went too far. And this is what happened. And. We need to put a stop to it. Yeah. And, you know, it also shows the bully, too, that, you know, when you own it, kind of like, okay, let's call it truth. And sometimes that helps. Yeah. The bully stuff. Power away. It does. Yeah. 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 Now, that's interesting because, um, you know, as I'm, like, thinking of the different scenarios and even stuff that I experienced in high school or stuff that I saw in other, you know, that uh, – sort of harassment, you know, that it wasn't necessarily like a physical bullying, but it was like a constant harassment was for girls who were, um, you know, maybe more developed or voluptuous and, uh, or maybe they wore clothes that were, you know, maybe considered more revealing or whatever it was that started sort of on this path towards, uh, what would be considered slut shaming, even mm -hmm. whether, you know, they were sexually active or not, but they were put into this category because of, I don't know, rumors or, you know, people just wanting to start prob like trouble. Right. And then it becomes, um, harassment that kind of then starts to border on sexual harassment. Right. Is that still considered part of bullying or is that its own sort of category? Like, have you, is that, 
kind of one in the same, like it becomes, it's, it starts as bullying and it becomes, mm-hmm. turns into harassment that then is considered sexual harassment. I'm curious where those yeah. things are, are drawn. Oh, those are so hard. And that, this is such a good question because um, it's one of those blurred lines where mm-hmm. it's hard to determine at what point they have crossed over. Mm-hmm. And I tell everyone, keep in mind that the word bullying, it's pretty much just another word for harassment, mm-hmm. but it's called bullying because most of the people who do it are minors. Okay. So, you know, and I mean, people even ask me, it's like, how do you handle with, you know, like bullying at, at, at work? Mm-hmm. And I always say, oh, harassment. Yeah, this is how you do it. Right. But, <laughs> well, but, I mean, um, if they're still in high school, um, you know, like if they're still, you know, I, I remember I was 15 and I was hanging out with girls that were sexually active at the time and somebody found out and then they started getting called names and it was like started kind of off as teasing, which turned into worse, you know, it then yeah. started becoming like bullying and mm-hmm. um, eventually it was just like ongoing harassment that this poor girl ended up having to deal with throughout most of her high school years. Yeah, that's really, really horrible. And that's yeah. one of the, those are one of the symptoms or factors, I guess you can uh, say um, about bullying, that it is constant. One of the key main, main obvious points is once you start feeling unsafe or if you start feeling like you have to avoid that person mm-hmm. or if you... Uh, are no longer able to function correctly mentally or physically because that's the type of negative reaction you're getting from that person that then has crossed into bullying that's how I tell kids you know if if you're confused about was that teasing or was it bullying one of the clues that you can help um, explain to your kids about bullying is that once you feel unsafe And once you feel like you have to start avoiding a person or a group of people because you feel like they're going to embarrass you, humiliate you, hurt you in a physical way or anything like that, that's when you know it's crossed the line. It's no longer teasing. Mm -hmm. Because when you're teasing, it's pretty much a collective of, you know, just friends using embarrassing experiences that you know about each other just to learn something from that or just to remind ourselves about, oh my gosh, remember when that happened and Mm -hmm. oh, hopefully that will never happen again. But then when you take that and you're using it against them to, for ill will, when there is ill intention and you don't feel good about it, that has now become into bullying. And, and it's important to say that to the kids because a lot of times they really, they feel it. They know something's wrong. Just like social bullying. Social bullying is something that a lot of kids don't understand. When I, when I ask them, they say, oh, is that like one-on-one in person? Or mm-hmm. is that like on social media? Mm-hmm. And it's neither. It is when you try to take that power or authority from one person, say like you and I, Ros- uh, Rosalia, we're, we're hanging out with a group of friends. And then you and I are gossiping and pointing at one person and then we're telling everybody else hey don't talk to her don't invite her to the christmas party don't do this and don't do that mm-hmm. even when you put like a, a negative nickname un apodo, then you're ostracizing or you're secluding that person from the community 
Mm-hmm. And that is social bullying. And, and so that's hard for little kids to explain, you know, like yeah. they'll walk up to the teacher and say, teacher, teacher, she's being mean to me. Oh, well, how is she being? She called me a name. Say it's an un apodo, you know, like a, a bad nickname. And she's like, well, what did she call you? Oh, I don't think that's bullying, you know, they'll say, because the kids don't really know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's why it's so important to describe the four types and their verbal bullying, which is, of course, you know, the name calling mm-hmm. and saying, oh, you can't do that all the time. You know, then they start believing, oh, I can't do this because she's always, she just, for some reason, she sees or thinks that I can't so I probably can you know they're tearing them down slowly so it doesn't have to be like bad words or anything like that it's it can simply be constantly putting them down so you have verbal bullying you have social bullying which I just described where you're excluding them from their own pack or from the community or from the classroom or the school and then suddenly everybody doesn't want to talk to him or her because of a b and c because you know, that's the idea that you put in people's minds so that this person can be just out of the pack. Yeah. And then you have physical, which we all know of, and we have cyberbullying. Oh my gosh, I had a lady call me the other day and she said, my son's friend asked for a picture together. And my son said, yes. But the boy took the picture and he wrote horrible things on there and drew things on it and then he he didn't text it or email it to everybody he simply passed the phone around for everybody to see and then they were humiliating my son and calling him names and stuff so I don't know what to do she said and uh, she said because he did consent to the picture and you know they are friends and my son is just so confused and she said to be honest I am too and you know my advice for her was okay Definitely that was cyberbullying because a device was used. Mm-hmm. And just because you consent to a picture doesn't mean that you expect them to use it for something negative like that to, to use it against you. Right. So, so yeah, that definitely falls into that category of cyberbullying because once, you, once it goes you know, onto a device, especially if you can email it or text it or post it online, you have just become a cyber bully right so it's very vague and it's a lot of fine lines and you'll see that even adults get a little conflicted about it and don't know how to deal with it you know so what do you do so that was the second though you said there's number one is the social is that what you said oh yeah so we have a verbal bullying social bullying physical and cyber and cyber okay yeah so the four Mm -hmm. wow and so you're you're actually um teaching workshops on this and teaching uh schools and parents as well yes that's right Mm -hmm. and you're doing an online program soon or is it just i am i'm actually right now i'm hosting on october 1st a a workshop on how to file a bullying report that gives you results so i created a template from past experiences of filing reports um helping people and of course when i uh, help my daughter uh, get you know get some help I created this template that includes everything that you 
should that you should have on your report to make your case stronger so that you're taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and then I have six action steps that you should be following if you're going through that uh, reporting process and your child is still being bullied. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when we are trying to defend our kids and we're on that mama bear or papa bear mode, we get so emotionally like just distraught that all we want to do is keep our kids safe and then we forget to gather certain information. Mm-hmm. So in this workshop, October 1st at 5 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time, I will be um, doing this workshop for whoever signs up. And you get to ask me whatever question that you want because I'm here to help parents learn how to advocate for their kids. And October 1st is actually the first day of the National Bullying Awareness Month. So um, that's another reason I'm doing it on that day because there's so much information that parents need in order to help you know, collaborate with the school to come up with a solution to help them and the bully. Because a lot of parents don't realize when you're helping your kid, you're actually also helping the bully because they need a corrective action, not a punishment. Like punishment. Yeah. I, I hate that some parents think, oh my gosh, that kid is so awful and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, something's going on there. You can't always just put all the blame. You got to learn the whole story, but through, through your advocacy for your own child, you're going to help that child get, uh, you know, the assistance that they need so that they don't hurt others again or your kid again, you know? Yeah. And then additionally, I go into schools and engagement centers and libraries, whoever really wants to bring me in and I do in-person workshops and they're interactive and they're very fun because this can be a dark topic. So I have activities for the kids and skits and role play. So they learn exactly what social bullying looks like or what cyber bullying looks like. You know? Awesome. So I wanted to ask, are you going to be doing ongoing workshops? Like if someone can't make it live to that one, can can they sign up for future ones? Like I know you have your email list. So when I get people to sign up for that to Mm -hmm. get on other ones, if they can't make that live one, will it be available for recording? It sure is. Yeah. I always tell parents, if you can't make the live one, sign up anyway, because I will send you the recorded version and I will have future free webinars uh, coming up soon, but I will have an, a paid online course. That's going to be a lot more robust And I'm planning on launching that one at the beginning of 2020. And I'm really excited about it because I've been working on it for the past two years and I have gathered so much information and it's going to be really fun because it's going to help parents see the light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. and restore that hope. Because I know that some parents also lack the confidence in the, in the schools or, you know, whoever they have to go report the uh, incidents to. And sometimes they get just as discouraged as the kids, you know, some yeah. parents even move their kids out of the school system, you know, yeah. to a whole nother one, just because they feel like their administrations have failed them. Right. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, I, I know that as a parent and I, I'm excited to take your workshop because I want to learn more, but as a parent, if your kid comes home and they're getting bullied and they don't really know how to express it and you don't know how, you know, what to do you both feel really helpless and yeah. there's like, how do you move forward? And if you're not getting the help 
or assistance from the school, then you're like, okay, what now? So I think it's fantastic work that you're doing as well, because like you said, for so many kids who are in the LBGTQ community or who have special needs or who are just not fitting the norm that kids see as the standard in media, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, fortunately, I think the media is starting to uh, change a little bit and you're starting to see more tolerance in, in the way that uh, different cultures are and different races and, and different ethnicities. Like everybody is starting to be a little bit more represented, but we're still a long ways. And unfortunately, all of that contributes to the bullying and how people are intolerant to each other. So I think this is fantastic work. It's super important. And it does, you know, as we're talking about gender and, you know, uh, sexual harassment, like it all plays a part in all of it. So I think that the more we can become aware, informed, empowered, and, and help our kids, you know, we're going to be creating a much more uh, kind and tolerant world. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on the show. I really, I'm, I'm honored. No, I, like I said, I, I've been watching you. I love what you're teaching. You're on uh, live all the time on Instagram, which is great because it's an opportunity for people to tune in and listen. So if uh, anyone wants to learn more about you, your workshops, your programs to get on your list so that they can, you know, stay up to date with what you've got going on, where can they find you? You can find me at dalitalks.com and pretty much on any social media platform. My handle is dalitalks. Awesome. Well, everyone, you should definitely check her out and learn more and become an anti-bullying advocate as well in your community. And you can definitely learn how to do that by following Dali Rivera. So thanks so much for being here and I'll see everyone. Well, you'll hear me (laughs) next time. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the About Consent podcast. I stand for consent culture, shame-free sexual literacy, orgasm equality, and our right to freedom and truth. If you stand for this too, be sure to subscribe. And I would be most grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and review on iTunes so that others may also find this information. Share this podcast with everyone you know so we can start to create consent culture one conversation at a time. My friends, the revolution is here. Get on board.